Richie Buckheel with ease. Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path that Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores. A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. It's been a long break. It's been an incredible World Cup. Sorry for not keeping you updated over the last month, but we're back. We're back on schedule. Every week we'll be coming back with Away From Hail End. It was a brief hiatus, but a lot to report on. This episode is going to be a little bit of a recap on what has happened for each and every player on loan, Away From Hail End, and what to kind of expect from them in the second half of the season, whether it's progress, whether a loan move's not moving on, but we shall see as we go through the players. And it's been a very good loan spell. Obviously, the highlights off the top. Balagoon been excellent in League One. Charlie Patino already showing he is ready to play senior football in the championship level. Can deal with the physicality. Not a problem at all. Brooke Norton Cuffey really coming into his own so far this season. Getting to play a little bit on the left, but mostly on the right. And just been excellent for Rotherham. And some goalies who have impressed. Ovia Jahiri has looked great. Arthur Nkonkwo started rough, but recently has become potentially the best goalie in League 2 and a penalty monster. And one bright spot that many of us did not know was going to be so bright is Alex Kirk, who although has suffered an unfortunate injury, has his team playing the best football that their supporters have seen in a long time based off of what I see on Twitter. Uh, And he's been excellent. He's been a rock at the back. He's been scoring goals off set pieces. But we will get to him later. We're going to go through this player by player, position by position, starting at the front with our forwards and Fuller and Balagoon. He's played 15 matches so far for Stade de Rems, uh, 12 starts in League One. He has eight goals and an assist. You may have heard of some of the guys who have scored more goals than Flo Balagoon in League One. Uh, Killian Mbappe, Neymar, Lacazette, Jonathan David, and Mofi uh, from Lorient, who's had a great season, are the only players in League One with more goals than Flo Balagoon pretty incredible if you think about it obviously Mbappe and Neymar two of the best five players in the world Jonathan David has been a stalwart in League One since he moved to Lille Lacazette back in great goal scoring form and a good side League One he's always done well in and Mofi uh really shown his skills this year but Flo Balagoon has more goals than Messi this year in League One obviously that is exactly as it is that's just what you can see on paper Messi has 10 assists he just won the World Cup best player in the world right now bar down but the fact that Flo Balogun has more goals than him shows you that he's competitive in this league. He's been excellent. He has been, I've talked about this a lot, fouled the seventh most amongst forwards in the league. And I've spoken about this quite a bit because I think it's an incredibly important facet of being a forward, is not only getting your team in dangerous positions, receiving the ball in dangerous positions, but winning set pieces for your team in dangerous positions. And Flo Balogun's been really good at that. And it's not just in dangerous positions that he's getting fouled. He's doing a really good job at receiving the ball in his own half and pinning a defender into a position where the defender either has to foul him or Balagoon's going to spin him and, and you know spur a counterattack or easily play out from the back. And that's just as important, especially for a team that is often pinned in their own box. And so, you know, I, he recently did an interview, Flo Balagoon, a very long-form interview. Uh, he spoke about a whole bunch of things, uh, including his where he might play internationally, what his future might be at Arsenal. But he mentioned playing for Chris Wilder and what that did for him. Uh, and Chris Wilder has spoken about it as well, and how he really didn't know about that part of the game, because you don't have that in youth levels, and he didn't start as a striker from a young age. Um, Flo started as a center back as a child. He was fast. He was good with the ball. He was a big body. It made sense for him to play in that position, 
Uh, when he was 10 years old, he kind of moved up to the forward line, but playing mostly as a winger. Uh, and that kind of changed his whole perspective. And then he, he re- mentioned recently how Kevin Betsy, you know, kind of taught him how to play in a two-striker system with Mika Beareth, how to play off the ball, how to, you know, play in combination play, which he then improved on with Chris Wilder. And now playing as a lone striker, he has all those skills and can play combinations with his wingers and his midfielders and what might not, but also be in front of goal and score goals. And he's really become a complete forward. And this has been a great place for him to grow. And without him, Reams would probably be in dead last. Uh, he's been crucial at winning penalties. He's been crucial at scoring penalties. Uh, and obviously, you know, he has five other goals that are non-penalty, and those have all been pretty excellent. Some striker goals, a few nice tidy finishes, and he's created a lot of danger and helped them play out from the back when they've been pinned in. Uh, he also mentioned in this interview how, you know, living in France and more specifically in Rems, uh, it's very different than London. It's quiet. He can just focus on football, be relaxed, not feel the pressure of having to do X, Y, and Z with family and friends or whatever it might be. And he really never pictured himself either living in France or playing in France or leaving England, and, and here he is. Uh, and he couldn't be happier. He's doing great. Uh, League One resumes shortly in January, and we hope to see him banging in goals and continuing his form. Uh, continuing with our forwards, Tyrese John Jules. I said it every week that how happy I was that he hasn't been injured. I don't know if I jinxed it or whatever it might be, but unfortunately he's now had sur- having surgery on his hamstring, which will see him out three or four months, uh, probably another two and a half, three months from now. He had the surgery about three weeks ago. Uh, and he's just been so unlucky with injury. You know, it's really unlikely he will feature for Arsenal's first team at this point, considering, you know, he's in League One on loan at Ipswich. I mean, he's been playing well, but not over the top well. We have a slew of strikers already and probably making one big forward signing next summer no matter what. So, you know, it's just you feel bad for him, and you don't know where his career goes from here. Realistically, could he end up in a championship team next year? Maybe. Uh, Somebody who is, you know, trying to build a project. Add a young striker, maybe, who's not ready to immediately help him get promoted, but, you know, in two years' time, get promoted. And if he, you know, bangs, you can sell him on for whatever fee to a Premier League club. Uh, But the injuries are just really derailed his career. I mean, three years ago, he was the biggest striking prospect at the club, and now he's probably the fifth or sixth. Uh, Really sad to see. Uh, But he does have 21 appearances this season, three goals and an assist. Ipswich are sitting second in League One, uh, thanks to him quite a bit. He is ranked fourth amongst forwards. Uh, with nearly nine accurate final third passes per 90 minutes. Uh, I mentioned this a lot, how he kind of has been playing as a supporting striker, playing off the striker, receiving the ball in the half spaces a lot, receiving the ball uh, kind of in the corner by the edge of the box quite a bit, uh, and, you know, creating something, whether it's assists or big chances or key passes. Uh, He hasn't scored a ton of goals, but he's been really important in their link-up play, and that just shows that. Uh, He's 11th in duels one per 90 minutes uh, amongst forwards, in League One, and Tarius John Jules draws the second most amount of fouls per 90 minutes in the league, you know, bar position. So he's been great. He's been aggressive. He's been on the ball. He's been great on the ball. I've said this quite a bit. I, I think he's done excellently to find himself in space to receive the ball. The only thing I had not been thrilled with was being aggressive in the box and trying to shoot and score more goals because he is such an instinctual finisher um, and so great with both feet. But he's done all the other little parts of the game extremely well. Uh, and that's why he's really succeeded at Ipswich. That's why he's played, as I said, 21 appearances already this season, played in almost every single match, being rested in the non-important matches that are not part of league play. So it's really sad to see this injury happen. Hopefully he comes back in you know late February, mid-March, early March, uh, and, and starts playing well again. And Ipswich are going to be in a fight to maybe win a title or, or gain automatic promotion. And who knows? Ipswich get promoted. Tyreshawn Jules maybe gets 
sold there to Ipswich for a couple million pounds and maybe with a sell-on or whatever it might be. Probably, most likely not, just considering injury uh, in terms of sell-on and whatnot. But, you know, maybe Ipswich is a good place for them. They've done a really good job there. They have a really good side. One of the better sides I've seen in League One in a while. Obviously, Plymouth are having an incredible season ahead of them. Uh, but should be a good fight for them down the stretch. Our other two forwards are in the Netherlands in the first and second division. We'll start with Nikolai Moller, who finally healthy himself. Another striker who's dealt with plenty of injury woes. He scored two goals against Jong Ajax in an incredible 4-4 match right before the break. Just in, He had a masterclass in center forward hold-up play, making himself a target in the middle of the pitch, winning everything to keep possession and, and keep Den Bosch. I mean, four goals is the most goals that Den Bosch have scored since he's been on loan there last January. I've not seen them be this attacking and this cohesive in the final third, maybe ever. His first goal was incredible. It was an outside-of-the-boot, first-time finish from the penalty spot, coming back across the goalie's face. Excellent positioning and a great finish. The finishing and the confidence has been key for him. Uh, he then scored the equalizer to make it 4-4, uh, receiving a cross on the back post, passing it into the back of the net, just finding himself in different pockets of space, making different runs, confusing center backs, creating space for his team. He's just been great, really, really great. He had two goals in this match. He had two key passes. He won two out of three aerial duels. Yes, the injuries hampered the start of the season after what was a great preseason, scoring five or six goals, um, and now we started in both matches back from the World Cup break. Uh, Den Bosch did lose both matches 1-0, but great to see him playing both matches. He played 90 minutes in the first. He played like 73, 74 in the second. Uh, two key passes in that first match, but you know they've just been a little bit slow back to it. I've seen it a lot with a lot of these lower team sides who are just coming back from the World Cup break where most of their players haven't played a competitive match in four or five weeks. So they're just a, everything's a little bit slow, a little bit not together. Uh, but they're, Den Bosch currently sit 15th uh, with 19 points. That's five off of promotion, though, even though they're in 15th. So they're in a battle to try and get promoted uh, into the Eredivisie. Nikolai Moller will be crucial in that. He's played 11 matches so far for them, three goals and an assist and six starts, which is a pretty solid return in that league. Uh, especially considering how few goals Den Bosch have been scoring and how little they create. He is 14th amongst forwards in aerial duel percentage one, uh, and he's ninth in aerial duels one per 90 minutes in the league. So considering that center backs are usually filling that top 10 in aerial duels, that just shows you how good Nikolai Moller is uh, in the air, and, and he should be with his size, and that's really one of his greatest assets. Uh, but yeah, he's sitting ninth in aerial duels one per 90 minutes in the league. Then we go over to Mika Biareth who has just, this has been confounding. I mean, a couple of our loan moves to the Eredivisie, which I thought were going to be spectacular moves, and I think Arsenal did as well, have just not worked out how we planned. And that's the risk you take sending anyone on loan. It can't all be perfect. Things change, managers change, ownership changes, the way a team plays changes, whatever it could be. But Mika Biareff played excellently in preseason. He was amazing, scoring every single game he played in, creating for his team, doing exactly what we saw for him do for the under-23 side last year, he was doing immediately for Walwick. He struggled with injury. It's unclear if he's still injured, if he's not injured, but he's not getting into the side. He's not even making the bench. It's just not clear exactly what's going on. He's played five matches. He scored two goals in only one start against Groningen. He had two goals coming off the bench, but he's only got made one start in the entire season, and that wasn't even in the league. That was in the you know the cup, the KNVB Netherlands Becker Cup. Uh, so, you know, we hope the second half of the season goes better. It's always good experience to be with a senior team every week in and week out, training with them, whatever it might be. That experience is excellent regardless. But you'd like to see him get game time. You'd like to see him starting for a team that needs a goal scorer, for a team that really kind of centers the play around creative forwards 
uh, from what I've seen, and, and he's exactly that. So there's really not much else to say. He hasn't had a lot of chances. Hopefully he recovers from injury. He's not a player who was injured a ton last year. He's not a player who had a ton of injuries at Fulham when he was a youth player there. So it's an interesting situation. They could be being cautious. You don't know if Arsenal's involved in, in what the decision-making is, but you'd sure hope Mika Beareth has a better second half of the year. Now we've done our forwards. We'll move to our midfielders, and there's no bigger midfield prospect at the club than Charlie Patino, who has hit the ground running for Blackpool, a side that has struggled a little bit. Uh, they haven't quite been able to be cohesive and play a full 90-minute game. There's periods where they look excellent, 30, 40-minute periods in a game, but then they'll switch off and give up two goals in six minutes. Uh, so they've, they're a team that likes to try and play in possession, uh, but they actually seem more dangerous when they're able to have a defensive, solid defensive back and play on the counter. Charlie Patino, great at kind of that playing that first ball out to a winger who can create. Yates has been scoring goals left and right before the World Cup break. Uh, so we'll see how they bounce back. Patino has made 18 appearances. He's two goals and two assists. He's also picked up five yellow cards. Uh, there have been two games back now from the World Cup. Charlie played 90 minutes in both. The defensive contributions continue to be incredibly strong. The thing we're all most worried about, I mean, we know he's an incredible passer. We know he's as good at scanning as any youth player that we've had in a long time, maybe since Wilshire. He knows when to, what to do when he picks up the ball at any position. He knows how to play in tight spaces. He knows how to play balls over the top. His passing range is unlimited, is what I'm trying to say. But we were all worried a little bit about the defensive contributions, if he was going to be able to read the game at the same speed, if he was going to be able to be physical enough to win tackles and make interceptions, uh, if he was going to be strong enough and courageous enough to put a foot in at times when he needed to, to make blocks in front of goal for a team that doesn't dominate possession. And he's done all of that incredibly well. Uh, since the break, as I mentioned, Blackpool just have not looked quite as cohesive in attack. They're a little bit stagnant. Uh, they'll get back to a better form, but they currently sit 23rd in the relegation zone, two points from safety. However, only 10 points from a promotion playoff spot. Obviously, that's a bigger gap in the championship than it is in other leagues, but it just shows you how tight the championship is this year. They go on a run of winning two games or go undefeated in three games, and they could be right back in the promotion playoff race. So it, it's not time yet to panic for Blackpool. Charlie Patino continues to be their best player, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if next year he comes in and kind of plays rotationally with Jaka, if Thielman's come in, uh, if Jaka leaves, I don't think he will. I'm just saying these are kind of the things that could happen. And it'll be interesting if, you know, he's still only 18 years old. So Arsenal might decide, why don't we send Charlie Patino on loan to a Brighton or something for a year? Uh, similar to like when Chelsea sell Gallagher, uh, sent Gallagher to Crystal Palace. Have a great year on loan in the Prem and then come right in and start immediately. Uh I don't think that's most likely, but you never know. We'll see how the second half of the season goes. Uh, see if he continues to play great, if he gets better. But I think Charlie Patino could come in next year uh, and, and really deputize Jaka in that left-center mid-roll, especially if we decide not to go for Thielmans. That, that'll be a big play in that. Uh, in terms of some interesting stats about Charlie Patino's year so far, he is 13th amongst midfielders in interceptions per 90 minutes, which is exactly what I was talking about. Uh, how he would read the game, how he would, his defensive contributions would play, and, and this shows you right here. And he is first amongst midfielders in accurate cross percentages. He doesn't cross the ball a whole lot, but when he finds himself kind of in those half spaces uh, in, the, in the final third, or if he finds himself out wide, he's quite good at picking a player out. Uh, Yates has been a big target in the box for him. So good to see from Charlie. 
And, you know, sometimes Jocko drifts out wide. He can cover that left back area. It's just something interesting to think about uh, when Charlie's going to make his debut for Arsenal and continue to play there, that he can offer a little bit of something like that uh, from those spaces. Something that we see a lot from Fabio Vieira uh, that we'd like to see from the other side of the field. And I think Charlie Patino is a great option for that. Marcelo Flores, however, has not quite had the season that we all expected. As we all know, he kind of forced his way out on loan because he wanted to try and make the World Cup squad for Mexico. That was his dream. And that did not happen, obviously. He did not make the squad. And not only that, things at Oviedo just have not gone great for him. The manager was sacked pretty early on, and that's one of the main reasons he went there. Uh, Marcelo Flores has played 12 times so far, but only making six starts. He's played a mix of kind of a supporting striker role and as kind of a left midi winger role. They kind of play a 4-4-1-1 with kind of like a supporting striker behind the main striker. And Marcelo Flores played a lot in that position to kind of start uh, with the original manager. Since that manager is gone, Flores has mostly played out on the left wing. Uh, He just has the one assist so far, no goals. And Oviedo now sit 14th, only five points out of the promotion playoffs, but not where they wanted to be. They made a lot of signings this summer. Uh, and we're expecting to really be in that promotion playoff race for most of the season. Flores has done well in his chances, if you ask me. I don't think he has been consistent, and I think that's what you can expect when you're making your first step up to senior football. But he has been quite good, and he's been very creative, and he's been confident. I mean, he started confident. Uh, The confidence has wavered a little bit, but he started trying to create, trying to do things off the dribble. Bounceability, as you remember the word that I coined, to give him. He bounces off defenders. He has a great shift. Uh, He's able to stop on a dime and move another way and kind of drop defenders like that. And that shows he's 15th amongst midfielders and successful dribbles per 90, which for a guy who doesn't play all that much, only making six starts is pretty impressive because, you know, most times when you come into a match, first few times you're touching the ball, you're not really going to try and do too much. You're trying to get a feel for it, right? He's only made six starts and that's where he sits. And he sits fifth in big chances created per 90 minutes. So, He's making things happen, and that's what you expect from Marcelo Flores. That's what he's so good at. He is Not everything he's going to do is going to come off, and that's the risk you take with a player like him, but that's what you want. You want a player who's willing to create and try things and drive at players, go 1v1, see if he can get to the byline, see if he can cut it back. You know That's what he's able to do, and that's why I think he actually succeeded a lot in that supporting striker role because he was able to pick up the ball in a lot of different places, get different 1v1 matchups, find advantageous areas of the pitch where he could do his thing. Uh, And since he's moved to the left wing, he just hasn't been as dangerous. He hasn't been as confident under this different manager. Uh, And most recently, he picked up a kind of a, looks like an ankle injury. He came off of the pitch. He then, uh, a couple days later, tried it out in training. Wasn't able to finish the session. But the fact that he was able to try it out and, you know, he's not in a boot, he's not unable to even try and train, makes me think it's not too serious. There were some rumors. uh, The group that owns Oviedo also owns Club Leon in Mexico. There were some rumors of him moving to Club Leon for the second half of the season. Those have seemed to have died down, especially with this injury. I think he will stay at Oviedo and continue to try and make an impact. You know, this loan didn't go great. Uh, Realistically, unless he has a great second half of the year, I don't think Marcelo Flores has a role to play with Arsenal next season. I think it's more likely they try and send him on loan to like the championship. I don't think they wanted to send him on loan this year at all, but I think him and his dad, uh, his dad's his agent, tried to make the move happen so he can try and make the Mexican team. Didn't happen the way he wanted it to. Hopefully the injury is not too serious and hopefully he gets more playing time, uh, but definitely one to watch in the second half of the year here. Staying in Spain and in La Liga 2, Miguel Aziz uh, playing for Ibiza, who have had a very rough start to the year. They currently 
are sitting dead last with 16 points from 21 games and five points from safety. And Aziz has had a bit of a turbulent time. Um, he has been playing mostly in that deeper role. I think it's a big reason why Arsenal sent him to Ibiza. They want they keep trying to develop him as a lone six. That's been clear. That's been Permarita Sacker's plan. That was kind of forced upon Kevin Betsy. Uh, when he's played for the youth side, he has played as a lone six. I don't think that's his best value. I don't think that's where his best future is. I understand that the club currently, that's kind of the profile we're lacking. And if, you know, he has the physical abilities, yes. There's no doubt about that. He has the strength. He has uh, the awareness. He, he likes to make a challenge. He reads the game really well in front of him. He's good positionally. But it just limits his passing ranges. It limits his attacking contributions. It limits the progressive dribbler that he can be. Uh, and I don't think... That's the best place for him, and he struggled. I think he struggled because, number one, I think he knows that's not the best place for him, and number two, that's not the position he's used to playing in. Uh, and so he's had a little bit of trouble at Ibiza. He's had some great matches, and he's had some bad ones. Uh, Ibiza have struggled a lot, too, which doesn't help, especially when you have... If you're playing as a lone six and you don't have structure around you, it's a really hard position to play. You're trying to cover a lot of space. You're trying to stop a lot of things from happening, being that first wall of defense before you're back four. Uh, and I think... That hasn't helped him at all. But again, experience is good experience always at this age. You can't complain with experience. His confidence doesn't look shocked at all. He is trying to do the things that he likes to do. He's trying to be creative. He does these little flicks and spins and turns and, and receives the ball really well the way he always has. I'm not worried about all that. I just don't know that the lone six role is the best place for him long term. Uh, he's played 10 matches so far for Ibiza, starting in seven of those. And played a lot of minutes in multiple different competitions. But Ibiza, again, have just struggled. The manager has had some kind words to say about Aziz. The manager has also had some not-so-kind words to say about Aziz, but every time he has said that, he has said it wasn't just him in that match. You know, we've played terribly, and they've been bad. They are in dead last. 16 points from 21 games, 5 points from safety. They're going to need to turn it around. And again, playing in a relegation battle for a young player, that's incredible experience. I mean, that's grinding week in and week out. That is, every touch is important. You need to play well. You need good things to happen. Your team is relying on you. And I'm excited about that for Aziz. It's not so bad that he's in Spain. He speaks Spanish. He's part Spanish. That's good experience for him. Uh, and we'll see what happens. You know, Aziz is one of those players where it always felt like he was very close to breaking into the first team. He played a little bit in Europa League a couple years ago, if you remember, and looked comfortable. He's a player, when you play in midfield, you need technical skill around you and it's hard to adjust when you're not playing with technical skill around you we've seen it with Nat Smith multiple seasons uh we've seen it with Aziz now multiple seasons and so I think that's what's kind of hindering him the most especially playing in a role that he's not the most comfortable in so we'll see what happens in the second half of the year I assume he's going to stay and play quite a bit but he's an important player for them and they got a big fight ahead of them uh, continuing with midfielders, Salah, Adin, Ulad, and Hand. It's been a really strange situation from beginning to end. It was kind of... We always knew he was going to go on loan. Uh, we expected that from the beginning of preseason. It was made clear that he was available. It looked like the Eredivisie was going to be the spot for him. The rumors of Ajax, the rumors of PSV, Feyenoord, the big clubs, all rumored to maybe come in for him for a loan spell. Um, didn't happen. But on deadline day, went to Hull City with a option to buy, which was surprising. Uh, it was rumored in the £10 million range. Hull uh, City, new owners, hoping to get promoted, go to the Premier League. The idea was if he plays an important role, they get promoted, he'll find himself 
at Hull City next year for 10 million pounds, good for both clubs. However, he still has not featured for Hull City. He's battling with a pelvis and a groin injury, came back to training and immediately suffered a setback, went back to Arsenal to kind of see what the hell situation is. He's still not back in training. So it's not really clear what's going on here. I don't know if he's going to stay there for the second half of the year, if he's injured, if he's going to come back and just try to rehab from injury. Maybe the end of the year he makes a couple youth appearances and we try again next year. Really unfortunate for a player who was hitting his stride last year. Looked like he'd made the bench a few times in the Premier League. Looked like he was maybe going to get his first team debut for Arsenal. So really unfortunate for him, uh, but it just has not worked out. Tim Akinola, last midfielder we have out on loan. Having another weird spell where the fans are clamoring for more Tim Akinola. Tim Akinola has been touted by the manager as one of their most important players, bringing great energy in midfield and a different dynamic. However, Chesterfield currently sit third in the National League, seven points behind Wrexham with a game in hand. They are using the same starting 11 week in and week out, and the manager basically said, we're third in the league with this 11, so it's going to be hard for Tim Akinola to find his way into the starting 11 unless we start playing poorly. And to me, that's a little stubborn. I think Tim Akinola, the manager said himself, Tim Akinola has stated Arsenal, they've offered him a long-term contract. He clearly is a great player. Clubs like that don't do this, X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. Yet, all of these great things to say about him, but since we're third in the league, he's not going to start. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He's been very energetic in midfield when he's come on. Uh, He's been really helpful regaining pressure and the ball when the team's winning, trying to see out victories, trying to get the ball in midfield, make sure that the team isn't exposed on their back line. All the important things that a phase two midfielder does. However, he still can't find his way into the 11. I mean, it's it's not so dissimilar from what happened to him in Scotland last year, where he was great the one time he played. The fans loved him. Where is Tim Akinola? Three weeks later in training, he gets hurt and misses the rest of the year. It's not so different. Uh, hopefully we get more Tim Akinola. I mean, it's weird, right? Like, I don't want to root for Chesterfield to do poorly because it's great experience for Tim Akinola to be on a winning side, confidence, playing well. But I'd like to see him get into the side and play some 90 minutes. Like, he's not going to progress playing 16, 17 minutes here, 24 minutes there, uh, which is what he's been doing. But what are you going to do? This week, Chesterfield did get knocked out of the FA Cup, uh, which is unfortunate. But hopefully Tim Akinola gets more league play and, you know, is part of a potential title race or at least a promotion race where he could get into, you know, promotion playoffs, play a big match at Wembley, whatever it might be. Great experience. We've seen Dan Ballard do that uh, in the past. We've seen other loan players do that in the past. It's great experience, and it does great for your confidence. Moving on to defenders. There is no better player to start out with than my personal favorite Hale End player at the moment, Brooke Norton Cuffey, who I have been talking about now for much longer than almost anybody, not to toot my own horn, but... When I started this account two years ago, he was the first player that I was like, this guy has it. The physical abilities are unlike any I've seen at this level, and he continues to impress even when he's not playing well, right? The bar has been set so high for Brook Norton Cuffey that no matter how well he's playing, he still is one of the best players on the pitch. Even when he has poor games, he makes a difference. He's a, his physical qualities allow for him to do that, especially at this level. He supplied an assist in his first game back from the World Cup break, played 70 minutes, looked very, very sharp, made three key passes, um, and showed that when his attacking 
profile is at its best, he is the best player on the pitch because he's almost always the best defender on the pitch, which is really started at Lincoln almost 12 months ago when he became a defensive wall. Uh, he then didn't have his best match playing 65 minutes against West Brom uh, this past weekend in a 3-0 loss. But I do like to see that the boss is being more cautious with this playing time. Brooklyn and Cuffey was playing 90 minutes every match multiple times a week, and he got tired. He almost picked up a few you know, little muscle injuries, which you don't want for a young player. And now he's not playing the full 90 every match, especially when he has a midweek game coming up. And you do like to see that for his long-term health and for his ability to play week in and week out. That's what's more important than playing 90 minutes and then missing three matches. Rotherham currently sit 19th with 26 points. Uh, they are equal with 21st on points uh, and eight points out of the promotion playoffs. So they're kind of right in the middle of the pack. As I mentioned earlier with Blackpool, the table is very stuffed right now in the championship with half a season to go. Uh, Brooklyn and Cuffey has made 19 appearances this year. He's two assists and only picked up four yellow cards, which is not too bad for a defender. He leads defenders in successful dribbles per 90 minutes in the championship with nearly two per 90 minutes. He is 10th total in the league. He is 9th amongst defenders in tackles per 90 minutes. He is 4th amongst defenders in big chances created per 90 minutes. He is 3rd amongst defenders in assists per 90 minutes. He is 8th amongst defenders in accurate crosses per 90 minutes. 3rd amongst defenders in ground duels 1 per 90 minutes. All I can say is what can Brooke Norton Cuffey do? What can't he do? Right? He's having a poor year offensively. That's been the common consensus amongst those who watch Rotherham week in and week out, who watch the championship week in and week out, who watch football week in and week out. His crossing has been weak. He hasn't been great in the final third. He's been great. Everyone knows he's the best dribbling defender in the lower leagues of England and has been now for a full 12 months. He was the best defender in League Two in the entirety of the league in the six months he was there. Bar position. No matter what position you play, he was the best. He is currently top 10 in the league in successful dribbles per 90 minutes and the best defender successfully dribbling per 90 minutes. So that is, no one is questioning that. What you do like to see is that he's eighth amongst defenders in accurate crosses per 90 minutes. So that means not only is his percentage pretty high and getting and rising, I bet you a month ago that that was, he was 25th. It is rising. And it's high volume because not only is he eighth in the most accurate crosses per 90 minutes, but he's also fourth in big chances created per 90 minutes. He is making it happen on both ends of the pitch. He's top 10 in both tackles and ground goals one per 90 minutes. He does it all, and the guy never gets dribbled past. Brooke Norton Cuffey, I'm very excited for the second half of this year. I think he's going to absolutely explode onto another level. And next year, there's the rumors of Cedric going this January, leaving. If those are true, Brooke Norton Cuffey's going to come in next year and play a very important role. Uh, spelling Ben White. I'm sorry. However you want to say it, Europa League and Champions League have a huge difference in the fact that when you rotate your squad in the Champions League, you can't have a back four of Cedric Holding, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, Cedric and Holding are not Champions League level players. They're just not. Brooke Norton Cuffey can come in next year and play an important role spelling Ben White in Champions League matches in the group stage and then potentially playing some Premier League matches so Ben White plays in Champions League matches, whatever it might be. We're going to have such good depth with a player like Brooke Norton Cuffey. And what I'm really excited about is if he gets a few more opportunities on the left side because I thought there was a very interesting dynamic with him on that left side 
with him coming into the half spaces on his right foot, especially, especially with our left back playing as an inverted midfielder. I don't know that Brooke Dorn Cuffey's ready for that quite yet, but I think with the way his technical ability is growing and how comfortable he's becoming on the ball, and more specifically how good he is at passing with both feet, that there's potential for that. And he could play a Cancelo-like role as a right-footed left back in the half spaces, making dangerous crosses, ability to play with both feet, ability to take a player on uh, and beat him with the dribble. I don't know. There's a lot of uh, exciting thoughts racing through my head about Burke Norton Cuffey and how he's played this year. Uh, and very excited for his second half of the year. Rotherham are in a very important stage of the season where they need to be careful not to slip into the relegation zone. So an exciting few months coming up for Brooke Norton Cuffey. The next player is the one who's been most surprising and the one who, not who we knew least about as a player, but knew least about where he was going. And that's Alex Kirk, who's at Iowa United. Uh, and the first few matches, he wasn't playing at all. And it didn't look like he was going to get into the side. He's in the second division in Scotland. It was like, well, what is this? Who made this decision? And all of a sudden, he's become the most important player. He has made 14 appearances. He has two goals and two assists. When he came into the side, they immediately went on a run of six, seven, eight undefeated matches. Went to top of the league. Unfortunately, he picked up a very, very serious ankle injury uh, in a 2-2 draw with Inverness about a month ago. And the original thought was the injury would be about a three-month spell out. He'd come back maybe early March. But it looks like he could be back early January, hopefully back to full fitness by first week of February, only missing two months of play, and helping I United potentially win the league. Uh, getting crucial minutes. He's made a great center-back partner with his uh, co-partner there at Iowa United. He is getting every single pundit in that league is saying he's become maybe the best defender in that league and maybe one of the most important players there is. He is a no-nonsense defender, for those who don't know a lot about him, who is solid as a rock. He keeps the game very Daniel Ballard-esque, who I think I have compared him to on this podcast previously. Uh, Very, very, very solid. And... He's become a lot better with his passing, with his ability and confidence to play out from back and find a player. Uh, and there's a lot more to come from him, and I'm excited for him to get back on the pitch because I United are missing him big time right now. Their defense is just not the same without him. Uh, a next defender, a player who I mentioned, Eravidice, we've had some unfortunate things happen, and Omar Rekik, it's mind-boggling. Truly mind-boggling. His season has been so tough for Sparta Rotterdam. He has played 15 minutes over four games for the first team, and 12 of those came in one match. The other ones, he played two, one, and one. Only three of the masses he missed were through injury. He spent seven others on the bench for the full 90. He did play one full match for their youth team that's in Division Three, which, that's useless. He could play youth matches for Arsenal. And... Recently, the sporting director at Rotterdam did a massive interview uh, speaking about a lot of different assets of the team. Omar Rekik came up for a good five minutes of this interview. Uh, and I'm just going to give you a couple of excerpts. Upon being asked why Rekik isn't playing, he said, in quotes, Omar is doing excellent so far, but it's simply not enough to tell Bart Vrenz, a very experienced center back, to step aside. Uh, the next question was, are Arsenal signaling that they want him back? In quotes, of course, big clubs are able to put clauses into their contracts where they're able to recall them if they don't meet a certain percentage of minutes, which is the case right now. Not only that, but the wages are stacked in a way where we are paying the greatest share of his salary right now, and it decreases based on the amount of minutes he's playing. The podcast host then asked, so he's a very expensive player right now? And the technical director said, very expensive, yes. 
He's pressing on our budget, certainly. To me, this sounds like Grekig is likely to be recalled in January, something I've been saying since he missed the first two matches sitting on the bench. Uh, it looks like it didn't work out in Rotterdam for him. Uh, I'm not sure why they brought him in. If they weren't going to tell this very expanded center back, Bart Vrenz, to step aside, why did they bring in a center back? To, like, what are the, what, I don't get the point of all of this. That doesn't make any sense. To me, when I saw this loan, I saw, okay, this is a team with two very old center backs. They need a young center back to come in who offers a little bit something different, who is a more modern center back, a very, very modern center back, a ball-playing center back who can use the ball on both feet, dribble on both feet, and spray the ball with both feet in a league that requires that. He could feature for John Rotterdam, the youth side in the Division Three, a couple more times over the next few weeks. I think that's unlikely. I think he's going to come back January 1st, and maybe he plays a couple matches for the youth side before going out on loan just to get back to full fitness, but I do expect him to go out on loan in the second half of the year. And what's really unfortunate is he didn't get to play for Tunisia and represent them at the World Cup because his loan spell was such a disaster. Uh, when If he had stayed at Arsenal with the youth side, he would have been in that squad. And that's really just too bad for Omar Rekik. And you got to hope in four years, not only will he be in the side for Tunisia, but that they'll make the World Cup. That's no given. So a real big bummer for Omar. Going back to Scotland, Ryan Alabiosu, who really came into his own last year for the youth side, especially um, when he went out on loan in the second half of the year, but really the first half of the year, providing eight, nine assists uh, between August and January. His comeback from injury, uh, he missed the final match before the break with a slight hamstring issue, came back and played 10 minutes the day before his 21st birthday in a 3-1 loss for Kilmarnock. He's made 17 appearances, 13 of those being starts. Kilmarnock sit 11th in the Premiership with 15 points from 17 matches. They have not been great, but Ryan Alabiosu probably been their best player. He is 10th in the league in dribbles per 90 minutes, first amongst defenders with 1.5 per 90 minutes. He's fifth amongst defenders in tackles per 90 minutes. He's only been dribbled past three times so far this season, and only seven defenders have been dribbled past fewer times. So he's been great progressing forward, taking a man on out wide, but also really, really smart in his tackles, which I've mentioned quite a bit, where he chooses when to go into a tackle, and he chooses when to keep the play in front of him, hence why he's very rarely dribbled past. He has been great passing the ball. He has been probably the most important player in Phase 2 for Kilmarnock this year. He is 7th in accurate pass percentage amongst defenders per 90 minutes. He is top 12 in accurate crosses per 90 minutes amongst defenders. He is top 20 in key passes per 90 minutes amongst defenders. He is top 15 in accurate final third passes per 90 minutes amongst defenders. He is 5th in accurate long ball percentage amongst defenders. 3rd in ground duels 1 per 90 minutes amongst defenders and 8th overall in the league and 13th in total duels won per 90 minutes amongst defenders, 24th overall in the league. What this is all goes to say, I know those were a lot of numbers, is Ryan Albiosu does a lot on both ends of the pitch. And this has been a great loan spell for him. He's been a very important player. It's clear that he can play as a right wing back. He's great going forward. He is a very accurate passer. He's a very accurate crosser, which is what really he got better at last year. Uh, not something that was really known to his game. And he's a great, powerful runner with the ball and without the ball. He is smart. He is good positionally. He can create as a crosser. He can create in phase one playing out from the press. 
He can find a player making a run into the channels. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. And to me, this is exactly the kind of loan spell Arsenal wanted. He'll continue to be an important player for Kilmarnock. We hope to see him get a few more goal contributions, but a side that doesn't score a lot of goals, hard to come by. And I think he's likely to be sold next year to a championship side, probably in the £6 million range, but that's fine. That's serviceable amount of money. Maybe there's a sell-on clause. Maybe there's a buyback clause. These seem to become more normal staples uh, for youth players these days. And we shall see what happens there. But a big second half of the year coming up for Alabiosu. And Kilmarnock have to be careful of where they sit in the table. A couple more defenders here. Harry Clark uh, is back with Stoke in his first match back from the World Cup break. He played 90 minutes. Didn't look too sharp on the ball. Again, been a month away. These things happen. Uh, he was 13 of 30 passing. He won 6 of his 16 duels and dribbled past once. He's made 14 appearances for them, 6 starts, and scored 2 goals. Uh, not surprising the goals. We know he likes to get into the box. Stokes at 17th currently, only 5 points off of the promotion playoff spot. Again, we've talked about what the championship table looks like. And he's 4th amongst defenders in the championship in successful dribbles for 90 minutes. That's no surprise. So we have the number one dribbling defender in the championship in Brook Norton Cuffey. We have the number four dribbling defender in the championship in Harry Clark. There are some clear and obvious fundamental skills that we are working on at Hayland with our defenders to make them modern wing backs. The thing with Harry Clark, though, and the thing we've talked about now for 18 months, is that he's a loose cannon. He's being dribbled past nearly once per 90 minutes. That's pretty unacceptable. Uh, the, that's the 11th of most amongst defenders per 90 minutes. But, you, I mean, that's not a list you want to be near the top 10 on. He's committing the most fouls amongst defenders per 90 minutes. He is losing possession to six most amongst defenders per 90 minutes. And to me, none of this was a surprise. I didn't even bother looking at these stats for most defenders at our club because, I mean, I watch these matches. I know what it looks like. And Harry Clark sticks out like a sore thumb when it comes to defensive positioning, defensive decision-making, uh, being rash into challenges, maybe not being the most consistent in his tackling. He has some games where he wins seven, eight, nine, ten duels, five, six tackles, and four interceptions, and he has some games where he doesn't have those stats, and in those games, he makes the same decisions. That shows you that he's not really making decisions based off of his defensive intelligence, but more so based off of kind of gut reaction, which can be problematic for a defender. We've seen it with Mustafi. Uh, we've seen it with Gabriel at times. It's just not something you want necessarily from a defender all the time. What I will say is Harry Clark is makes a lot of things happen going forward. He's top 20 in key passes per 90 minutes and accurate final third passes per 90 minutes in the league. And as I mentioned, he is fourth best amongst defenders in successful dribbles per 90 minutes. So he offers a lot going forward, and I actually have said this multiple times, that I kind of think his future could be as a forward. Or it's at least in a team whose structure, yes, they line up as a back five, but their structure going forward is kind of more of a 4-3-3 where the right center back slots in as a right back, and Harry Clark has the freedom to be forward for more periods of the game, find himself in the box at times. I think he really succeeded at doing that uh, in Scotland last year. So 
I'll be interested to see what happens for him. I, I do think he, he could be a very successful championship right back, and I think similar to Alabiosu, he gets sold this summer if the right suitor comes. Uh, he, he probably has less of a chance of a future at Arsenal than Alabiosu does. Our last defender on loan, Mazita Gungbo, who went to Crawley Town to play for Kevin Betsy, who unfortunately was unfired, who has had a turbulent little spell. He had a red card where he missed some time. He had a few injuries where he went back and then came in and then got another injury. He's made 12 appearances so far this year between left back and left center back, eight starts, and just came back into the side after injury to play 23 minutes at left back in a 2-0 loss. Uh, Crawley are currently sitting 19th, seven points above the relegation zone. So since firing Betsy, kind of come back into some better form. Uh, and Ogungbo has been good when he's had the chance. He's done exactly what you'd expect him to do. He is fourth best amongst defenders in League Two in successful dribbles per 90 minutes. Considering he's played a lot as a left center back and not just a left back, that's pretty impressive. He is very, very happy to be on his left foot and take the ball into space and, and take a defender on and not just play balls into the channel, uh, but also play in kind of triangular formations, if you will, where he's kind of taking up the left back space. You've got a left center mid taking up the half space and then a striker or a winger kind of getting into the channel and the three of them kind of playing a little three-man game and that's how they progress the ball. That's where I've seen a Gungbo B at his best. And that's why he's also seventh amongst defenders in accurate pass percentage. So a Gungbo doing the things you'd expect. Hopefully, even though Betsy's gone, he's going to come back into the side as a regular. I kind of like seeing him play as a left back. I think that he can do really well in that position. He's an excellent crosser of the ball. He's excellent at playing long balls into the channel. He's, you know, good at keeping the game in front of him. I do think he's not the best in duels. He's not the most aggressive, which can be good at times, but sometimes he gets played it around. So we'll see what his second half of the year looks like. And on to our final players. Le last but certainly not least, our goalkeepers, who have all been pretty good, which, again, Arsenal, not known for their defensive youth prospects over the years not necessarily known for their goalkeeping youth prospects although emmy martinez won a world cup now so i could not hate him anymore biggest prick around but did spend some time at hail end and we have three goalies currently on loan we'll start with arthur okonkwo who has played 22 matches uh 19 in league two for crew alexandra he's allowed 29 goals and kept eight clean sheets crew are currently sitting 17th 25 points uh, eight from the promotion playoffs. And Okonkwo has been really, really solid as of late. He started off a little bit shaky, as we know. Positionally, not always in the right place. I think he hadn't played a lot of competitive football in a long time and just had not been confident or, you know, up to the game speed. But since that shaky start, he's been excellent. He has the third most saves made in League Two. He has kept seven league clean sheets so far. Only six players have kept more. He has saved two penalties so far, most of any goalie in the league, and he's only faced three, so he saved two out of three penalties. He's made the fourth most saves inside the box. He is the highest rated goalie on sofa score in the league. He has conceded five goals from outside the box. Only two goalies have allowed more, but he's also saved the most shots from outside the box, and that brings me to my main point about Alconquo has been his positioning. And early on, teams were finding it easy to score from him outside the box in goals that he shouldn't have been letting in. And I mentioned week in and week out that I saw more teams shooting from outside the box against Okonkwo than I've seen in any other league against any other goalie. And I think since he has come into his own as a goalie and become more confident, he has not let in many goals from outside the box. But teams continue to shoot from out there, and that's why he's made the most safe shots from outside the box. Okonkwo, massive goalie, and you'd expect him 
to be aerially dominant, and he has been that. Most punches in the league, Arthur Conquo. He has the six most accurate passes and accurate pass percentage in the league amongst goalkeepers. He has not been great on long balls, which I've mentioned quite a bit. Bottom half of goalies in the league in terms of percentage. But he is only one of six goalies with a successful dribble. So he's happy to play with the ball at his feet, and he likes to play short. A lot has to do with how Betsy was using him last year. Uh, Akunko has become a lot better. He's physically the most unique goalie that we have in terms of size. He is a massive player. He fills the frame. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how bigger goalies are not usually the best penalty savers because it's hardest for them to get down to a ball, get off their spot the fastest. But he's been great in penalty saving. So it'd be interesting to see if he's able to kind of break that narrative of big goalies. And it's a big second half of the year for him. Hopefully he plays well. I mean, if he has a great second half of the year, you could see him being the third goalkeeper next year. You could see Carl Hine moving on. Carl Hine did do very well in the friendlies the last few weeks. Uh, and Okonkwo could be sold. You don't know. I mean, goalies, It's you can't have this many goalies be in your squad. So at a certain point, somebody's going to have to move on. So hopefully Okonkwo has a great second half of the year. Who knows? Maybe a championship side or a Premier League side wants him on loan, and then he makes a permanent move. We'll see what happens. Moving down a level, Ovi Ejihiri has been excellent for Chelmsford. He has played 20 matches, 18 of those in the league. He has kept 10 league clean sheets so far in 18 league matches. He's allowed 12 goals in those 18 matches, 14 total in the 20 matches he's played, including the FA Cup matches against Barnett. Chelmsford sit fourth in the National League South with 40 points, eight off of first, and five clear of losing a promotion playoff spot. Ovi Ejahiri won November Player of the Month for Chelmsford City and has probably been the most important player considering the 10 league sheet, ten league clean sheets in 18 matches, only allowing 12 goals, which is a ridiculous record. Theoretically, this loan spell does end in January, but I'd be very surprised if the loan spell isn't extended because it'd be great for both sides. Ejahiri's been great, and you'd want him to keep that confidence up and continue to play week in and week out, and Chelmsford City need him. Uh, staying in the 5th Division, Tom Smith has played 12 matches in the National League for Bromley, keeping two clean sheets but allowing 19 goals. Uh, Bromley currently sit 11th in the National League, three points off of promotion playoff. So some big matches coming up for Tom Smith. Bromley unfortunately knocked out of the FA Cup this week as well on penalties, uh, but Tom Smith will continue to play for Bromley week in and week out uh, since he's made that number one position his own. He's been very solid. I actually think his distribution on long balls is incredibly dangerous. He's been really good at finding a man, and that's how Bromley have created a lot of interesting chances for themselves. We have one more goalie who's not out on loan, but one that I think I need to highlight. I've spoken about him in preseason, Alexi Rojas, who is only 17 years old, but is already representing Colombia at a U-20 level, a very talented young goalie, and one to keep an eye on at Hale End uh, and for the future. That is all of our players on loan. A very long episode. Had to catch everyone up on everything we've missed. We're back for the World Cup break. It'll be interesting to see if anyone else goes on loan in January. Last year, we sent quite a few players on loan in January. We'll see if anyone gets recalled and resent out. A lot to keep up on. Hoping to do a little bit of kind of a surprise episode uh, where we kind of go through some of the players not on loan at Hale End, but those to watch. Obviously, the likes of Ethan Winnery, Amario Cozier-Dewberry, Miles Lewis-Skelly, the big names, but also some other lesser-known names, uh, the Seb Ferdinands, the Omari Benjamins, uh, and the likes in the coming weeks. I'll keep you posted on that. Thanks for sticking with me. I know it had been a while, but we'll be back to our usual scheduling of one a week starting now. And 
We'll be back next week with another episode of Away From Hail End. <laughs>